Hey, everyone. Nancy Rommelman here. Uh, we are going to spend the morning doing something a little different. Well, probably not that different for me. And that is talking about Portland, Oregon. Um, as almost every sentient person, and I'm sure every person listening to this podcast knows, back in 2020, there was a lot of, you know, violence and eruptions and people protesting. Um, uh, after the killing of George Floyd, I was sitting with a couple of my news friends. It was July. Uh, and and these are two of the smartest guys in the business. And one of them said, Nancy, what the fuck is going on in Portland? And my other friend said, you got to go. And I was on a plane the next day. And I've been reporting on Portland since then, really, and kind of a bit more now because I have a larger product project going on. But one thing I am not is I am not on the ground in Portland. I'm there two or three times a year. There's always stories going on, and some of you people have read them here or I've talked about them. Um, but there are two people that I know, one who I know and have worked extensively with, who are on the ground in Portland. I've been keeping a close eye on their work, and I thought I would invite them on to talk a little bit about what they're seeing, what they've seen, what they're seeing, where they think the city is going. So uh, very quickly, let me introduce Michelle, uh, who is an Oregon native and holds homeschool mom who draws and takes photos in her spare time. And Chelly, uh, who's a fifth generation Oregonian mom, portrait photographer, and has been covering the Portland protest scene since 2017. When she's not doing that, you can find her with her horses or at the rodeo. I'm going to put their links uh, in the show notes here to their Twitter feeds, which is at Cocaine Michelle. Love that. <laughs> and at Honey Badger Mom, respectively, so you can go follow them. Ladies, welcome to uh, welcome to the podcast. Good Thanks morning. for having us. Okay. So I one of the reasons I asked you, and thank you so much for coming on in short notice. I think I asked you guys yesterday or the day before if you wanted to hop on here with me is because I noticed you did sort of a live stream of when you ventured out into the streets a couple of days ago. So I thought I'd ask what made you decide to do this. Oh, and I should also tell the listener, they're both really amazing photographers and videographers. So they're going out and they're showing you, actually showing you what's going on. So so what what made you want to get out and um and show the people what's going on now in the streets? Do you want to go first? Michelle? No, you go first. Go. Go, Charlie. Um I can't remember it was maybe three or four weeks ago we were talking about what we were gonna do. And um I suggested we go out and travel the max into downtown because I'd heard people were having issues uh, getting on the max just because of the homeless people that were there traveling on the and, max was dangerous. And the so max is the, light, is the light rail that goes from like different parts of outside Portland and through Portland. So, yeah. So we thought we will jump on the max at some point, ride it in, walk around downtown and just see what we can see. Not that they, we would, um, go to a specific place we knew that had a problem, but just to travel like as if we're a commuter <clears throat> using the train and see what we ran into. And so that's what we did. And uh, Michelle, what'd you run into? Um, well, as a person who lives in Portland and sees stuff all the time, uh, it was basically the things that I would have expected to see. Although I will say, uh, to credit the TriMet system, the Max line was not as bad as it has been, as I've heard people describe it um, in the past, where there's like, you know, puddles of blood on the floor and poop and hookers and 
all of that good stuff. Um, it smelled like pee, but you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was more of what was going along, along, along the side of the max line. Uh, just massive encampments, garbage, uh, squalor, uh, just a lot of filth all the way along it. And then as we traveled through the city, uh, the expected things, uh, people doing a lot of drugs, crazy people, people yeah. with pants falling down. <laughs> I, I've told this story before I was in, um, I was in the city for a story. I believe it was in June or July of 2021. And I was taking a lift uh, up the 205 to where I was going to be staying. And the lift driver, I, I mean, I noticed an incredible number of people camped out along the side of the freeway. Now, I lived in Portland from uh, 2005 to 2019. And I obviously know 2004 to 2019 i obviously know what portland looked like it was it was really market and i i said to the driver i said well you know you drive the city tell me what it's like now with the you know the increase in the homeless population and he and he gave me the stink eye in the rear view and was like we don't have a homeless problem he's mm -hmm. like if you if you mean uh the urban campers and i was like oh Okay. Mm. Um, and then I was there last year with Thomas Chatterton Williams. I have a video of it. I'll put it in the show notes. And we went down, uh, you know, Northeast 33rd and Marine Drive and looked at it. And I'm like, look, this didn't used to be this way. I, you can say it's less. You can keep telling yourself that there's no problem or there's less of a problem. There's that's, an issue. That's what I really have a hard time with. Um, when I say it's different. I'm not saying it because I'm just an outsider dropping in, looking at some horrible spot. I lived in Portland from the early nineties and I lived in a neighborhood that wasn't very nice to start with. It was felony flats kind of moved a little further South shortly after we moved into that area. But I was a, um, this is how long I've been in Portland. I delivered pagers and <laughs> to doctors and hospitals. And my territory was from, um, probably 39th, um, all the way over out to Forest Grove. So it covered all of downtown. Um, and then I lived in outer Southeast. So I knew that city like the back of my hand and I knew where the bad spots were and I've seen it. I saw it come up through its glorious years and when it was wonderful and I felt safe walking in downtown any time of the night, it would have been fine. I walked my kids in their strollers at nighttime. I would never do that now. It's, it's, uh, and so when people say, oh, I think everything's great. And you're just talking about two blocks. It's, I don't know if they're lying or if they're really that brain addled, they don't see it. Yeah, that's so. basically that's why I started going out and getting footage of the city and sharing it on the internet because I could see the gaslighting happening in front of me. And it was very upsetting. The first instance of that was actually during the riots because we were being told by the media and everybody else that it was just a couple blocks and it wasn't affecting anybody, but that wasn't true at all. And I could see it because it was happening in front of me. So that's what got me into documenting stuff that was happening in Portland. And then it just naturally followed that I started sharing the crazy stuff that I was seeing just walking around the city and trying to get rid of the gaslight. 
I mean, it was the case that, you know, and and for, for listeners who don't know, I was out on the streets quite often with Chelly in front of the courthouse and in other parts of the city during the heyday of the melee, which was, you know, summer 2020 and, and really on into 2021. And it definitely was the case that there were those two square blocks that things were super, super hot. That like if people wanted to believe that, I can see why they believe that because there was a locus, but there was also there was also the police union out in North Portland, and there was also the marching through the streets in other areas, and there was Peninsula Park. I mean, they were gathering in many many different places. So yeah, it wasn't only the two blocks, and it it wasn't just well, we don't even have to get into the fact that it was only peaceful. We we know it wasn't, and I think that I think I mean. This is something we'll talk about a little later, but I I see that there's been some real downstream effects from labeling this not just in Portland and locally, whether it's you know it's elected officials or mouthpieces or the media labeling it only peaceful has had some really serious downstream effects on what's happening in the city now. Do do you see what what do you see as either changing or not changing and should change? What are, what are the, I mean, we don't see, you know, Antifa or just random, you know, I don't think so. I mean, do you still see pockets of like Antifa and random activists or just yahoos on the street doing what they were doing a year and a half ago? Not exactly what they were doing then. Not exactly. Um, I saw, I remember I, when you and I were downtown with, um, the gal came into town to do some coverage of Portland. And we had, we were by that guy who was ODing. One of the main actors uh, in Antifa walked right by us. Um, and I was like, Ooh, no, but um, I haven't seen much beyond specific calls to um, like attack street preachers. It's like the, the JV team is called out to, to do some window smashing occasionally. Like the uh, it's definitely, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And when I was, Roe. that was the last time that they were really out. Out was during which was when when Roe got overturned. Yeah, um, they were trying to inflict some terror, I guess. And I city. covered one of those when um, I was. It was um, Henson Baptist Church, one of their buildings, hosts the Pregnancy Resource Center uh, main corporate office, and they came to that building and smashed it, and smashed me in the head a little bit. But. Oh, so that's interesting. I I got roughed up um, a bit, and you were with me when that happened, and had my mm-hmm. phone stolen. But I never yeah. actually, and they they, they would try to be very intimidating. But of course, one on one, they're not very intimidating people. They're kind of like you know doughy or slow or tiny or whatever. In a group, definitely, mm. but not one on ones. But you definitely have experienced some roughing up, definitely more than I have. Just I've. Yeah, I've been pepper sprayed a few times, but that time it was, I mean, it was just a big mob of them and the police were watching. So, wow, I got roughed up. They do just watch. They watch. I even like got roughed up once, walked over to the police car, to the policewoman who was watching and said, hey, could I actually make a report about that assault you just watched happen? She said, is this a good time? As in maybe this wasn't a good time? And I said, well, maybe it's not a good time. I guess I'll just wait. And then I got assaulted again and I didn't um, bother to report it right then. 
Well, because we know, uh, and I and I don't have current stats, but I did do I did follow um, my friend Hannah Ray Lambert's. Uh, in she did from May to December twenty 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 ninety one percent of people arrested during the protests were not prosecuted, and we know now that they're not. I mean, if they're not. As the story I wrote about the murder of Rachel Abraham, if they're not going to hold a guy mm-hmm. in jail for any bail when he has five felonies for strangulation, they're probably mm-hmm. not going to hold the person who pushed you. It's just not. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. No, yeah. and they didn't. I mean, they watched it happen, and they 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 could have gotten out and arrested the people who were assaulting me. But you know, I, I knew that wasn't going to happen. I just thought maybe they'd pretend because it was daylight and people were watching. No. Do you, do you have an opinion on why they're not doing this? Why they're not um, making arrests? <clears throat> well, so when it first started, when they first started doing protests and they, um, after a while, you could see they weren't arresting people. I asked somebody that I knew who would know. And um, they said that they had orders to specifically not arrest people from Ted Wheeler came from the top down. Ted Wheeler's the mayor of Portland. Yeah. And now I'm not so sure about the leadership in uh, Portland within the police, if they're maybe sort of on board with that also now. So I would imagine it's also frustrating to spend a bunch of time trying to pursue a crime and then know that nothing's going to happen. Like, I feel like they have some malaise as far as responding to people asking for help these days. I think there was a report that came out a couple of days ago uh, just about that, showing the low percentage of of arrests that go they don't go anywhere. So what are you what are you going to do? There's just no reason to spend two hours on the paperwork. It's just not it's just not going to go anywhere. Um, so if we're not seeing you know violence from the areas that we were seeing it before, what do you see as people on the ground as being the real? I guess, you know, quality of life issues that are now plaguing the system. It used to be everything on fire every night and sort of fear and people in their homes. But Portland, even though, hey, I'm super glad to hear that the murder rate is down this year from from the past couple of years, which is great. There are there are fewer. I think there's only been nine murders and it's it's March. I mean, there were more. than Oh, yeah. I I forgot we're in a new year. (laughs) It's just so cold. Like, I think when it warms up, everyone's going to start killing each other again. It. It could be, and there's a lot of gunplay. There's a story. There was a gunplay at the, I guess, a Burrito King or something in North Portland yesterday. It's just yeah. the, the people are still shooting their guns off. But um, what what are you seeing as the issues, the the kind of quality of life issues on the ground right now in the city? Crime, like rampant crime, crime, and the the homeless thing, uh, which kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Especially when, if everything looks bad, if everything looks broken, if it looks dirty, it's kind of hard to tell when more bad things start happening because it's just, like, you can't even tell. Um, And there's so much crime that people are getting very frustrated and at their wits end, their cars disappear constantly, their catalytic converters, they're getting burglarized, they're getting assaulted, um, and nothing happens. So... Uh, it's it's too expensive to live here and <laughs> and have your stuff disappear all the time or have to worry about getting assaulted in the street. Like I almost got uh, assaulted by a crazy person the other day just walking around the Lloyd District. 
I saw that. I saw that video. You had that video up there. And that's kind of what I mean about the downstream effects of not, not, not calling certain crimes criminal or feeling that they were worth uh, um, covering or or prosecuting or even following. And now it's like we've let those little things go. And so now the kind of definition of what we are going to be willing to pursue has changed. So you don't take, you don't do the little things. You don't arrest the person for breaking the window 14 times. And now it's led to people being like, well, there's no, there's no accountability. So, okay. I've noticed a lot and definitely in the past couple of years, not just the homeless situation, but the last time I was there last summer, the drug situation is bad. It is very bad. So can you guys talk, I, I, I've got some video of it, but I was, I was amazed. This is right around Powell's too. Powell's is the best bookstore in the country. It's a very, very busy area. The Pearl is a, it's kind of one of the fanciest areas in town. It, there were people in the park blocks. It was, it was like the zombie land of pooping and naked and screaming. And yeah. this is right. That mm-hmm. was not like that three years ago. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't. I used to take my kids there. Yeah. When my kids were little, I would take them down there and we'd go to Powell's all the time. Um, I wanted to go to Powell's with my daughter when I dropped her off at the airport a couple days ago and we had our Husky in the car. And I said, you know what? I don't think we can do that. Uh, I don't think that would be safe for the dog. And I'm not sure that it would be safe um, to leave the car even. And we have to get you to the airport. So... Um, the since measure 110, I think it's changed significantly. The um, there's no reason for them to worry about doing the drugs, and a lot of people have traveled from out of state here to do so. Yeah, um, I, I, the man, um, there was an elderly man at the at a Mac station out in. He was Gresham and he had his ear and his part of his face ate off by this young guy who I think grew up in Connecticut. He got on drugs and he came from a wealthy family, moved to Georgia and then came from Georgia and had been in Portland two weeks. And it sounds like it was from psychosis from taking drugs. Uh, I just think the drugs make there's so many drug seekers in and around and they're homeless in and around the transit system that it makes it dangerous to use the transit system. Yeah, it's true. They're coming from all over the country to, to live on the street and then do drugs here. And because I think we're not actually pursuing other crimes that happen like vandalism or assault or whatever it is, um, that, they're just like things that would have taken people like that off the streets naturally are not happening because we're being compassionate air quotes. And we're going to give them a thousand dollars a month, maybe soon. That's for the, that's the new housing thing that they're talking about. I Um, mean, it sounds like it's not supposed to be for housing, but they're going to give them a thousand dollars a month for a year. Like a year. And it's, uh, yeah, and it's because there's not a, there's not housing. I actually do think that there's housing for these people. Um, I haven't dove into that completely, but we talked to somebody on the Max that had 
actually moved to Portland to get clean and get help. And he did. And he did that. So I'm not entirely sure uh, what they're talking about with the housing, but they're definitely coming from out of state to use drugs and live on the streets. Well, there's fewer consequences because of the legalization or the decriminalization. Um, there are generous safety nets. Um, I have a friend who, a very good journalist actually, who volunteered for years at one of the homeless shelters downtown. And there was room, he said, mostly they were empty. The beds were empty because he's like people who are drug addicts. And this is the terribly, terribly sad thing about it. People that are drug addicts are addicted to drugs and they need to do drugs. And so you can say, I have a really nice bed in here. And hypothetically, I'm sure they would love to sleep in a wonderfully warm bed and feel safe if these places are safe. I've never been inside of one, um, but they they can't do drugs in there. And he said, Nancy, they they want to do the drugs and they have to do the drugs. So I I continue to think that that is not the solution. You also know uh, if you give someone $1,000 who is a drug addict, the chances mm. are pretty good that, you know, at least some of that money is going to go like they're just not going to spend it well. I mean, it's it's terribly sad. I, I, you know, I can't really just castigate and say, look at those terrible people. It's just terribly, it's terribly It's inhumane. Sad. It's inhumane. And also, I mean, we know that Portland, you know, decriminalized drugs, but did not have a complementary plan to help people with addiction issues or treatment issues. And, you know, we, you will get pushback if you say, well, I think that it would be very, very humane and compassionate to offer these programs. And people like Nancy, you, especially like sort of some people in the libertarian movement are like, you have to let people do what they want. I'm like, Okay, but do I have to abet it? Right. Like, We're paying so, for them to do this here. Yeah, and suffering the consequences. Sorry. Right. That is something that I really wonder about. I really do want to talk to you about. You know, you know, Portlanders are are they do want to be good to their neighbor. They really do. And part of you know, part of the reason why we find themselves here, they find themselves here is because they want to be, they want to really walk the walk, right? And whether they, you know supported the protest movement or not, that even if they didn't, they were not going to say anything. They want to be good. They don't want to be called out, whatever. However, it does seem to me that when all of this stuff is in your eyeball, when you can't take your kid to the park there anymore, when Powell's even becomes a weird experience, when you, do you think things are turning around? In terms of public sentiment, do you see people turning it around? I think more people are getting upset this is just me gathering intel from uh, the people around me in my neighborhood and also next door, which is crazy here. Um, is it? Is it just? Oh my gosh. Next door. Like, I heard that next door was a place where Karens went to be mad about crimes and stuff, but here it's completely the opposite. Like, if you mention a crime or something that happened, you just get called a racist and a bigot and Still? get told to shut up. And, like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Still, I mean, that was happening, I remember, three years ago um, when I covered a particular event in North Portland. But it's still the same way. You're still considered a racist. You're like, I don't think I want people pooping on the sidewalk or something. Oh, yeah. You have to word things the right way. Otherwise, they just jump down your throat. Like, don't say the word drive by. Good Lord. Because that's racist, too. <laughs> like, You mean drive by like a drive by shooting? Like a drive by shooting. How do you know? Do you drive by? That sounds like a racist thing to say. 
What like, are you supposed to call it? I don't know. Somebody I, shooting from his car? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's no way to live with these people here anymore. But anyway, yeah, I think that the sentiment has turned, but nobody knows what to do about it because what are you going to do? Like what, what do we do that people will not feel is uncompassionate at this point or to admit that we made a mistake? Because that's hard. It's very hard. I keep asking this question. I keep asking the question like, well, as I, I'll put a link to the Rachel Abraham murder story. I'm like, this is a woman. She, there's a sheer now six little girls without a mother. Are you, do you think you want to look at the policies that got us there that kept this guy out of jail? I, I mean, I would hope so, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that's enough. I don't know either. I think the people that are willing to think about it are leaving the city. Well, yes. yeah. What was it? 12,000 people? I, I, I have to find the numbers. I don't want to misquote it, but it's the first time Portland has lost population in a long time, in a long yeah. time. And it's yeah. definitely going to continue trending downward, I think. <clears throat> I actually can, canvassed in outer Southeast Portland for maybe five days when I was working <clears throat> for the Republicans last year. And it was for some local candidates. So I'm knocking on doors since outer Southeast Portland. I didn't even feel safe really walking on the streets. And a lot of the people almost to a man uh, that were talking about how they didn't like what was going on. And they thought the city was going in a terrible direction. were also going to move. That was their plan. They didn't think it was getting better. I don't think I even talked to a single person who didn't like how it was going and said that they would vote differently. And then that's just in terms of, because I was asking about candidates, not a single one. And so I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. You'd think you'd see what's going on. Things are um, degrading in front of your very eyes. Like uh, the, the maintenance issues in the city are huge. Everything is empty. There's so many buildings that are empty now that were just, everything was occupied maybe five years ago. And they're, it's like they don't see it. I don't know if it's because they live in it. And so they're not noticing necessarily, or they just can't admit it to themselves. I'm not sure why. Probably a combination. COVID was like a perfect storm of destruction here too. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. things got shut down. uh, The economy tanked. uh, Nobody wants to go to work anymore. And then it's so dangerous and so expensive to deal with conducting business here because people are getting attacked or you got to replace the windows all the time, or there's been five burglaries last month or whatever. Like, it's just, it's too I much. see that all the time. Yeah. Uh, people talking about this business got robbed for the third time. This business um, had their windows shattered for the fifth time. And, um, you know, and then some people saying, yeah, we're shutting our business down because we can't deal with this anymore. Insurance is getting to be a big problem in Portland. Um, I have a friend who's had a business for a very long time that involves insuring vehicles. And they have great drivers. That they only had one accident, uh, in, in the vehicle and they had their insurance canceled and they were told they wouldn't be able to find, uh, anybody else to insure them. And it took them an entire week to find somebody to insure them. If they did not have this insurance, they would have had to shut down their multimillion dollar business. 
I, I remember doing an article, I can't remember who it was for, maybe uh, the dispatch or persuasion about talking to business owners downtown and just saying some of them are just like, I, I can't stay here anymore. I can't get insurance. Um, I noticed I came back, I left Portland in like summer 2019. I came back in December 2019 and I noticed that there were some places in downtown that were already closed. A lot of businesses sort of seemed dark. So this is pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know the reasons why, and I wasn't reporting on it, but I took it to kind of be, you know, Portland really had a lot of growth for a while. It was just booming and blooming and people were coming and bringing their new ideas. And then there was all this problems and like trying to put people out of business. And I thought maybe we're just on a down. We're on a bit of a down, like rents, they're not going to get top dollar rent. And then boom, uh, the pandemic happened. And then boom, the rioting happened. And Portland, I read a study recently that said they were doing cell phone pings downtown to compare to, I guess, 2018 or 2019 to see how many people were downtown. And it was down 40%. 40%. If you have a sandwich shop or a clothing mm-hmm. store, how do you have 40% fewer people on the ground? You can't. Yeah. Plus, there's like closed businesses next to you. It's it's not, it's not, it's not good. And um, everything's more expensive too. So, like for us as a family, we may have gone out and uh, ate out here or there or whatever. We just don't do it anymore because we can't afford it. Michelle, you live pretty much in the city. Shelly, Shelly moved out of the city. How many? How many years ago? Eight in twenty fourteen. Okay. I, I thought I got robbed on the way out of the city. Like everything I personally owned, all my jewelry. And I was like, the, I'm done. I will never return. I was just going to rent uh, out of the city for a year. And I, I, when that happened, I was like, that was the second time. And I thought, this is not going to get better. So, um, uh, Michelle, you're still in the city. You have a young family. Mm-hmm. Um, how Do you know people that have moved? Do you have friends that have just said, I'm out? Oh, uh, yeah, actually. Um, I know several people who have moved out of the city. The first family was one that um, lived in the Cully neighborhood and uh, they have kids as well. And the dad is a contractor and he left their dog in his work truck for like five seconds and got out of it and then yelled into the doorway something to his wife. And when he turned around, his truck was driving away with his dog in it. Um, and it like the thieves here are very good. So they ripped out the OnStar or, you know, like the Mm. tracking system on the way out. This big chase ensued. So at that point they were like, yeah, we're done. We're not doing this. Like the kids could have been in the car. This is crazy. We're not staying here anymore. So they left. And then uh, another family that lived in North Portland just had enough of the crime. So they moved to Vancouver. Another family was worried about um, the influences on their black son in uh, eastern, uh, an eastern neighborhood in Portland. So they moved out to Happy Valley. Um, yeah, like we know, we know people who are leaving. <laughs> I do too. Um, I, a friend to, during the whole craziness um, and they owned a really nice house, you know, down in, um, I guess it was on, I don't know, someplace in Southeast. And he's like, I'm done. They moved to Oregon City, which, you know, for listeners is really close. I mean, you can have, you know, you could have the big city in Portland is not a big city, no. you know, close enough, 10 or 15 miles, but um, it's just better. There's a, again, that, that uh, news show that dropped a couple of days ago, they were talking to the DA in Washington County. And what is the other really nearby County? Uh, Clackamas. Uh, Clackamas. Yeah. They talked to those, 
DAs about crime and quality of life. And of course, Mike Schmidt, who's the DA in Portland, declined to be interviewed because he never (laughs) sucks. Yeah, we're all (laughs) laughing because we've all I've tried at least a dozen times to to get him to speak with me, and he won't. But um, the quality of life, you know, here's the thing: you you, and I'm sure you've gotten this as well because we can sound like detractors or naysayers about Portland. It's like, oh, you're only looking at the bad things. It's like, well, I'm kind of trying to look at all of it in terms of of quality of life. I'm hopefully not painting it with too dark a brush. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you see green shoots in Portland? What what can you talk about, even if it's like a clothing store that opened near you or some people that you know that came to town that have interesting ideas? Are, are there green shoots in Portland right now? Uh, that's a good question. I guess... Only that I see people kind of waking up to their actually being problems and being willing to say it. Uh, and I do see some businesses coming and opening up in empty places. Uh, but it's just hard. There's so many, there's so many broken windows and just trash everywhere and crazy people screaming. And it's hard to think that the good things will keep popping up around that. Like the people will tolerate it for very long. Um, I don't know. I'll have to think about, <laughs> I'll have to think about the positive. <laughs> what about you, Chelly? I'm more of a, <laughs> I see it a lot more negatively. Uh, I don't see the growth coming back. Uh, the biggest thing that made an impression on me when we were in downtown and at Lloyd center was there was nobody on the streets except for, um, we saw some Jehovah Witness people with their pamphlets who were really nice. And then we saw a tourist family and then just some random people walking. But the vast majority of the people on the streets, and it was a holiday, um, were the homeless. And uh, there was, some, uh, you know, a lot of drug use and mentally ill people. And, oh, yeah, and we saw drug dealers. And um, it's so... With And then combine that with the lack of occupancy in downtown, you don't have the eyes on anymore. So it's harder to commit a crime when there's a lot of people around. So unless they're going to build the occupancy back up in downtown, I see that as it continuing to degenerate because of that. Um, You need more people to actually be on the streets to kind of drive out some of that. And that's not even talking about law enforcement, but um, that's, that's what I think. It's, I, I would have a hard time seeing anything good happening. I'm, I'm pretty blackpilled on Portland right now, to be honest yeah. as well. What is, what I think is that we need to keep, I think we need to keep uh, destroying ourselves for longer before it bottoms mm-hmm. out yeah. and then gets rebuilt back up. I don't think we're done self-destructing yet. Yeah. They haven't hit bottom. I guess that's that's a good way of saying that. That's really interesting. I, you know, when and we'll talk a little about this. Maybe we'll we'll go down memory lane a little bit, Chelly, about some okay. of our experiences during the uh, during the riots. Um, but I really was worried for a while, quite worried um, that if the sort of protest movement, the violent part of the protest movement, we should qualify, kept being allowed to have as much momentum as it did that we were going to really see people building bombs in basements. You know, Mm. we were going to see another sort of, you know, weather underground. Um, 
we have not, which is I'm very, very grateful for. And I'm not saying that that um, contingent or even those ideas could not be reignited because people got a ton of energy from those ideas. I mean, we saw it. They, yeah. It gave them identity. It it was a pleasurable thing for them to be out on the street. You know, we we were in the middle of that many, many times. And I don't think that's all gone. I think, you know, people have gone back to school and they've gotten back to jobs or they've moved or they've grown up or done whatever. But I'm sure it's sort of like, you know, you have the chicken pox virus in your body. It can get reactivated if something reactivates it. For sure. It would be very heartening to think about, you know, you said we, we haven't hit bottom yet. Portland has not hit bottom yet. It's like, well, what can you envision what it would take to get to the bottom? What, what do you, what could it possibly be? Again, I'm like the, the murder of a mother of six children wasn't enough. Burning down the courthouse wasn't enough. What will it take for Portlanders to say, we've got to turn the car around. We have to turn this car around. What, what will that take? <laughs> I don't I'm not know. Really sure, other than just driving, driving everything into the ground so hard that the businesses are gone, the tax base is gone, they can't fund their stuff anymore here. Um, people will get frustrated enough and leave, I suppose. So I don't know. I think maybe the money leaving. <laughs> okay, no more money. Did you guys uh, read the story about uh, Nike? And the yeah. Nike outlet store. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just for the for the listeners. So that was right, five blocks from my house. Nike outlet store. As many of you might know, Nike was born in in Oregon. They have their world headquarters out in Beaverton, which is like ten miles, nine miles outside of the city. And they've closed the outlet store um, for many months now because of security. They just can't. There's just too many people robbing, and so they went to the Portland police and said, "Listen, we will pay." We will pay off-duty officers to, to stay here and make arrests because private security cannot make arrests. And the Portland police, I guess they wrote to the mayor. They didn't wrote to the police. They wrote to the mayor. But the fact of the matter is there aren't enough police officers to do this. They're already working their OT. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, the store stays closed. And who cares okay. if they arrest them anyway because they're not going to get prosecuted. So what difference does it make? Yeah. So then what incentive is there for the Nike store to stay open? There's Zero. not a lot unless they're making enough money there to offset the cost of the burglaries. But I like I watch I drive past that store all the time mm -hmm. and they would get a broken window and then the crews will come up in the morning and they would sweep away all the glass and put up some plywood. And then the next month they would have new glass. And I'm thinking, why would you even bother doing that? Because five days from now, the glass is gone again and they're starting over, <laughs> over and over and over again. And I'm like, why are you still here? Why are you using glass? Why does anyone use glass here? I don't know. The yeah. crime is, I think, that is the issue. Um, I lived in uh, Foster Powell, and there was a Walmart that was built at 82nd and Holgate. And that uh, was a time when I would go to Walmart. <clears throat> it was inexpensive. I had a young family. and It was just down the street from me. I just heard two days ago that they're shutting that Walmart down. And that Walmart is always packed with people. They're shutting the wow. park down too. It's, it's the We're losing anchor. both Walmarts, Shelly. The That's Delta what? Park one is closing too. Well, Delta Park. Oh my yeah, gosh. That one. <laughs> that area is frightening. And and um I have a funny story about that store, actually, when you're done. What? But 
the Walmart on 82nd? Delta Park. Oh, okay. So the Walmart on 82nd is the anchor in that entire Eastgate shopping center. Yep. And I mean, I, that's, I've, I've spent tons of time there and that Walmart is packed. And the last time I went to that Walmart last summer, I got out of my car and this guy walked up to me and asked me if I wanted to buy headphones. They're like, like these kind, but nicer. And I, and they were in the box and he just stolen them from Walmart. Like literally had walked out and, and was trying to sell them in the parking lot. So I see the security guy and I said, you know, that guy over there just stole a bunch of headphones. And he said, yeah, we know that we can't do anything about it. But your security. I've, I've had the same thing happen. I'm here in Chinatown in New York City. The same thing happened at the CVS. Mm-hmm. They run out and the, the people are just in there. I know that Walmart because there was this detergent. I happened to be in London. I was at a friend's. I washed my clothes. And I was like, why does this detergent smell so good? And it was called Purcell. And then oh. the only place you could buy it was Walmart. So I used to drive yeah. out to that Walmart to buy that laundry detergent. <laughs> so w- what is your Delta Park? And for you should also tell for the listener, tell us a little bit about Delta Park, just the characteristics of the area, and then tell your story. Okay. Delta Park is an area in North Portland that's a little off the beaten path. It's more of an industrial area close to the freeway. Uh, but there's businesses out there. There was a racetrack. Uh, and so, you know, you've got uh, Lowe's and, uh, you know, a bunch of other stores, Walmart. And there's also a bottle drop out there, which is where people redeem their cans and bottles, which is a complete disaster. So this area really draws in uh, a lot of the... The homeless, the addict crowd, uh, I think a lot because of it being out of the way, but also the bottle drop. So uh, in Delta Park, there used to be a bunch of uh, like encampments and RVs up and down the main road going in there. Yep. And every time I went, there would basically be a Mad Max scenario happening with barrel fires and zombies walking around, people like revving their engines and tearing around in the dirt and just like a wild scene. So everyone here knows that Delta Park is a mess. Like the locals understand. And I had to go to the Walmart a few times up there, which I don't enjoy doing. And every time I went, I had a harder time finding a cart because the carts get stolen and they disappear. Um, And so at one point there was basically like maybe three carts left for the entire store. There's no carts. So if you want to go shopping there, you have to carry everything because they also won't give you a basket. There's no baskets. (laughs) Okay. So um, I get this. I understand. Don't go shopping at the Walmart. If you have to get very many things, you have to be able to carry it. And I, (laughs) I was leaving one day and there was all these out of town license plates in the parking lot. I'm seeing like Indiana, Texas, Montana, whatever. And you got these people roaming around the parking lot, like completely bewildered, saying, where do I find a cart? Like, why are there no, why are there no carts? And this one person was like freaking out. I don't understand. How am I supposed to shop without a cart? Like, what's happening here? What, what's happening here? And I'm like, sorry, buddy. Welcome to Portland. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I mean, Chelly, when we were, in front of the courthouse because we reported a lot together. We went out. Mm-hmm. How many times did we get tear guest? I have absolutely no idea. That uh, was quite a few. Many. Um, 
if you had shown that scene, and actually that scene was shown, that scene was shown across the world. Yeah. Um, you would say exactly what you just said, Michelle. What's happening here? What's happening mm-hmm. here? Welcome to Portland. Welcome to Portland. <laughs> and I think that I think that people I'm not saying the Delta Part shopping cart situation, but I think there was a real kind of point of pride taken that, yeah, look at us. Look mm-hmm. what we can do. I remember getting there and doing some reporting, and then I went back east, and I went back about a month later, and there was this insane laser light show that had been created to flash against the federal courthouse. Oh, yeah. This was some professional stuff, guys. This was like somebody out at wherever, you know, uh, what's the uh, Wyden Kennedy or someplace produced. It was very sophisticated. And I was like, people are getting energy from this and they're getting creative about it. That's one thing I always admired about the activists was there, I mean, look, it's not creative to throw diarrhea into a police station. Shelly, you and I can talk about that. Talk about that. But uh, it is the flyers that they would come in, like literally on the fly, like it would be the morning, the flyer that they would tell you where the the meeting place was going to be that night. This stuff was amazing. And I used to think to myself, kids, kids, if you could just channel this stuff into building something instead of destroying stuff, it would be pretty awesome. I wonder if that energy is still there and could potentially be rechanneled. Um, I mean, we'll see. Who knows if they have the same sort of activist spirit. But Shelly, do you want to uh, tee up our diarrhea story? Because, you know, everybody likes to hear uh, a diarrhea story. Come on, story. diarrhea is good. I love Come that. on, diarrhea. <laughs> Let's do it. Tell me some so, stories. Well, <laughs> oh, thank you. For, and Mich- Michelle sends me poop pictures. I do. I send the regular. pictures to my friends all the time. I take pictures <laughs> of piles of human poop in Portland and I just send them to people. I open, I like get it. a text from her and well, I'm like, to Portland. what no, am I going to see this time? Um, so we were in downtown and I think not much was happening quite yet. And so we were walking around and we walked by what was the, the justice center and the, and the downtown police precinct. And I think we noticed that the doors were open and everything mm-hmm. had been. Hey, everybody, this is Nancy. If you've gotten this far, it means you've listened to the free portion of this podcast, this particular episode. Thanks for listening for the full ride. And many extras do consider becoming a paid subscriber. It's easy. So we can keep bringing you the stories that we care about. And hopefully you do too. Thanks.